Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Today we are here to talk about the time travel episodes in Star Trek The Next Generation. Woo! <laughs> it's our second episode of the series and I'm having a true blast. Not just like a blast, but like a true, pure, honest, great time. <laughs> a genuine blast. Yes, I agree. I think that these episodes have the perfect combination of just crazy fun and also, hmm, science. <laughs> and I just love that combo. It's really great. Yeah. And I also think a lot of these time travel episodes are hitting on more depth than I was expecting, especially yeah. in The Next Generation. And Next Gen is known for being such a talky show. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of these episodes are really life-changing. <laughs> yeah. Actually. Yeah, they're very introspective. So I'm so excited to dig in deeply to them with you today. Same. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think that, oh, no, nah, I don't want to add anything. I'm just ready to <laughs> jump in. I mean, we have some things to cover first. Hold your uh, horses there, Data. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because we have a couple of devastating corrections to make. Uh, devastating because I had a terrible mistake in the last episode <laughs> when I was talking about Dragon Ball Z. I said that Trunks had come from a future where Frieza had destroyed everything and that is so hilariously wrong. So if you are a Dragon Ball Z fan out there and you cringed when you heard me say that last week, I'm so sorry. I meant to say when the androids <laughs> destroyed the future. Oh man. You know. Yeah, to non-fans, I know this is a really interesting part uh, of the pod, so thanks for tuning in. <laughs> well, I just can't believe that androids keep destroying things. They maybe need a synth ban in the Dragon Ball Z universe now. Um, no, they do not. <laughs> <laughs> no one needs a synth ban. That's wrong. Yep, that's what we learned. <laughs> we also have another... We got called out on Twitter when we posted our watch list for the original series, Time Travel. And we had talked about initially doing all of our yesterdays because it's a great time travel episode and then completely forgot to put it in. I just <laughs> didn't write it in my notes and we were so swept up with Voyage Home. It's hard. We get carried away. At least I do by Voyage Home. I do too. And also, Rihanna and I had a discussion just with each other that wasn't recorded on the pod about All Our Yesterdays and just saying that since we just watched it for the Love and Affection series, we talked about it a lot and we totally meant to bring it up on the pod. We really meant to have a couple sentences talking about it, but we didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Thank, so thank you, Ken Yi, for pointing that out. As always, you are the original series expert. So thanks track for, of that. for calling us out. And for everyone who was upset that we didn't talk about that episode, we are so sorry. But you can hear about it in our Love and Affection series and just imagine our thoughts about time travel. So. <laughs> <laughs> So moving on, Ashlyn, I thought that we could start today with our segment on if you could time travel to any episode in The Next Generation, where would it be? 
I know which one I wouldn't go back to, and that's okay. the one where the Enterprise starts devolving into animals. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, that is as, almost as cursed as... What's yeah, you Voyager can't even one? think of it because <laughs> you don't want no, to. Your brain yeah. like deleted all facts about that Voyager every episode. Time, every time I am reminded what it's called, I repress it again. <laughs> I know, I know. The, I'm just Threshold. About, oh, God, no, you yeah, said it. I said it. <laughs> I, I was going to say lessons so that I could punch out that lady and take her spot. <laughs> <laughs> so the truth is Ashlyn just wants to be dating Picard. Yeah, I want to say something more profound, but no, I wouldn't want to go back to Best of Both Worlds because no, that'd be terrifying. really traumatic. And I don't want to go to Inner Light because then I would just watch Picard on the ground for 20 minutes. You know, like, <laughs> like all my favorite episodes, I wouldn't necessarily want to be involved in so you know okay it's kind of a joke but i'm gonna stick to it i'm gonna go back to the episode lessons and that lady that picard has his fling with i'm gonna i'm gonna knock her out for the episode and i'm gonna take her spot yeah because you are a musician you could keep up with picard easily you could teach him Sarah jaca or whatever (laughs) oh i could totally and instead of playing the piano because i can't although maybe by the 24th century there's a way i can just download that knowledge like in the matrix yeah probably but if not i could just be singing instead and picard and I can harmonize with the flute. I mean, Shepherd on the Rock, there's a lot of flute duets so. yeah. <laughs> for soprano. So anyway. I feel like that would be great. And then what Jordy would be hearing in the vents would be opera. And that would be even better. So yeah. Well, and potentially I could even have a fling with Worf since he <gasps> loves Klingon operas. Okay. I'm happy about my answer, even though I was a little discouraged by myself. But <laughs> Okay, so Rihanna, if you could travel to any episode in The Next Generation, which one would you travel to? Well, I have to say The Offspring so I can meet Lol before she passed. Oh, It's a very sad reason, but it guts me and I need to have known her. And I need to see Data as a dad because that just fills up my whole soul with joy. Yeah. It's kind of a tragic answer, but there it is. No, that's a great answer. That's a great one. Thank you. Wow, great job. (laughs) As you can tell, uh, episodes I'm traveling back to are very mm, centric around my favorite characters. How odd. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) you're kind of rings a bell for (laughs) what you said last week, too. (laughs) All right. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. I'm so excited for this because, Ashlyn, would you mind before we start telling our listeners what we watched this week? Absolutely. Yeah, we watched We'll Always Have Paris, A Matter of Time, Time's Arrow Part 1 and 2, Tapestry, Firstborn, and First Contact. A lot of firsts in this series. (laughs) Also, I just want to reiterate that in case you didn't tune in to last week's episode, the time travel series is all about time travel caused by humans. Humans. Not anomalies. Or beings. beings. Yeah. Okay. I'm so sorry. That was very xenophobic of me. (laughs) Not only humans can time travel. Sorry. Anyway. And in fact, mostly humans can't time travel. (laughs) Yeah. So this is all time travel episodes that are caused as a result of some beings intending to go back in time or forward in time, whatever the situation is. Because as you'll know, if you've seen any of The Next Generation, there's about 500 episodes of anomaly-caused time travel. I'm not exaggerating at all. And 
Sorry, there are 5,000 <laughs> enterprises hailing us. Yeah, or 10,000. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, exactly. Yeah, Rihanna can easily reference one because just on the top of your head, you can think of thousands of episodes. So, I mean, it's the reason that I can sing Happy Birthday and Klingon. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. We will not be talking about those episodes today. Those episodes will be discussed in a later series about anomalies, which we have Ooh. yet to release a date for, but they're coming. If we talk about a series coming in the future, it's definitely going to happen at some point because there's a lot to talk about in Star Trek. So these episodes today are all human or being imposed time travel. So let's kick it off with the episode in season one. We'll always have Paris and not Tom Paris, but this time we're talking about the city. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ashlyn, that got me. So there are these temporal experiments going on on this planet and the woman who is assisting the scientist in these experiments was an old fling of Picard's that he stood up one day at a cafe in Paris. And this is Dr. Mannheim. Dr. Paul Mannheim is doing these experiments and his wife is Janice Mannheim, who, as Rihanna said, had the fling with Picard. Thank you for adding in those names, Ashlyn. That's very helpful. (laughs) Yeah, it just helps to track who everybody is. Yeah, exactly. So the reason that the Enterprise figures out that these experiments are being run on the planet is that they start experiencing time loops where something will happen and then a second or so later it'll repeat and they're like didn't we just have this conversation what's going on or they'll see something happen again at one point Picard, Riker, and Data are going into the elevator and they hang out in the doorway of the elevator and then go in to talk and then a second later they see themselves again in the doorway and it's just crazy. So there's these time loops going on on the Enterprise and so they go to investigate this planet and that's where we discover that Janice and the dude, whatever his name is, Paul, Paul yeah. are there. <laughs> I'm on a first name basis with him now. Oh, so yeah. love good old Paul. Yeah. So Ashlyn, can we talk a little bit about Paul actually? What do you think about him? Well, what we end up finding out is that he is attempting to manipulate space time just on their planet. And he thinks that what's going on is isolated to just where they are. But the Enterprise is thousands of light years away from where they are, and it's having a ripple effect. And this is something that is an important aspect of time travel. It's the butterfly effect, like we talked about last week, that if you change one little detail, the results will bounce across time and space and can have wildly different outcomes. I mean, in this case, we don't see too much of that. That on the Enterprise. Mostly it's just these little cute loops that are happening like Rian is describing. And I really like visually from a directing perspective how those loops look because it's really funny to see the previous officers looking at themselves in the turbo lift because it's funny to think like how would that happen or how would I react if I saw myself in a turbo lift would I try to stab myself (laughs) you know would I try to do something crazy Hermione tells Harry at the end of Harry Potter the Prisoner of Azkaban there's no way to predict how you're going to see yourself if you do and so anyway I just like that we get that little interaction with them and I don't really like Dr. Mannheim but I appreciate his intelligence. I don't know. What do you think, Rihanna? 
literally, Ashlyn, my favorite part of what you said real quick is that you called them fun loops. And then I was about to argue that I would never think that a loop like that would be fun to see myself do the same thing again (laughs) would be terrifying on a sublime level of like, this is horrifying and so cool at the same time. So that does not sound like fun to me. But anyway, (laughs) but yeah, so I thought that Paul... Yeah, Paul. I keep calling him Paul. Dr. Mannheim was... Whatever you want to call him. He doesn't mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just not as close terms with him as I am with Stamets, so I don't really want to call him <laughs> Paul, you know? <laughs> okay, I respect that. <laughs> so Dr. Mannheim, I just feel like as many scientists are on Star Trek, they get carried away by their work. We see this in Dr. Soon. We see this in Dr. Maddox. We see this in a bazillion other scientists who get consumed with their work and then start valuing that over people and their lives. And we see this closer to the end of the episode where he is not willing to shut it down because he's like, we're so close. Or he's like, we can try it again. And he wants to immediately start it back up when it was causing these temporal anomalies to happen. He's sort of the trope of the scientist who can't let go of his work. Yeah, I agree. A lot of scientists who are obsessed with their work, Mm -hmm. it might be because of some emotional makeup. He's not trying to go back in time and save his son or something. Like, which, you know, I'm not trying to time shame him, (laughs) but he's just trying to get to another universe, which is a good goal, I guess. But I feel like it's not worth forgetting your wife and not spending time with her and letting your life together pass by. That's just me. Unless it's a Ant-Man type plot where you're trying to get your wife back from the microverse, I'm into that. But there's no kind of science that I can justify that it's worth leaving your other life behind. And he just does not have a good work-life balance, which I know we all struggle with, but Mannheim is doing terribly. Yes. (laughs) All of this to me makes me really think about Janice's perspective because she says when they first meet up with the Enterprise that she knows that her husband is working privately in his lab, but does not know what he's working on. And so he doesn't even let her in literally Literally. (laughs) emotionally or literally let her in that door to see what he's doing and so for me i am a patient person but if my husband was doing that i'd be like uh we have to talk. This is not okay. I'm not really in this relationship. And so I really understand that when Picard sees her again, it seems kind of like destiny. Like, whoa, I should leave this weirdo who's (laughs) doing science all the time for this literally once in a generation man. So (laughs) this is Ashlyn again, wanting to date Picard. (laughs) We just see it come out every day. I can't hold it back. I'm (laughs) like, damn, I would have met him in Paris. And she did. We later learned. Yeah. But Uh, rough. Yeah, so I find the non-time travel part of this episode very intriguing because it allows me to see a different side of Picard, kind of like we saw in the Love and Affection and the Family series. We are just getting more in-depth with these characters, even in episodes you wouldn't expect. And so we see a lot of his guilt and remorse in this episode of him being a young man and not being ready for a relationship, essentially. But instead of telling her that and saying, hi, I'm scared, I won't be able to make it, he stands her up and he doesn't show up to that cafe. That's my biggest pet peeve is people who ghost a person 
because it's not fun. It's just not a good feeling. And so I feel like he definitely was in the wrong here. And the beautiful thing about Picard is that he takes time to ruminate. He's definitely a reflective thinker. He's very pensive. He takes time to ruminate and then he realizes his mistakes and he tries to correct them. And so I think when he sees Janice again, he knows that he has to make it right or at least have some sort of closure because both of them have been maybe, you know, not thinking about it a lot, but I think it comes to mind every once in a while as it would with an opportunity like that for both of them. I think Janice is also a very striking person and she's got an incredible personality and she's very smart and beautiful. And so I think that also Picard laments the fact that he didn't take that chance. Yeah, and I think she is in her own way also lamenting the fact that he didn't take that chance. Yeah. (laughs) Because I totally agree with you. She is awesome. She's one of my favorite love interests for Picard. I mean, he has a lot of great women because he is attracted to intelligent women. Mm -hmm. And so we get a lot of great and memorable girlfriends that he has. Agreed. (laughs) But I also love that in this episode, despite the time travel science that we have going on in the story – We also have Picard doing some mental time traveling and he listens to Troy when she says, you really need to get this out of your system. I think she does suggest the holodeck. Picard does end up recreating the scene on the holodeck and he is almost angry at himself for doing it at the end. And I respect him. He's kind of doing a Mariner approach, which is like holodeck therapy. You know, you play out how you wish this a memory would have gone and maybe it'll help him feel some closure. So I respect that for him. I'm sad that he thinks it's silly. I think he says I'm too self-serving or I'm being Mm. too selfish or something like that was his sentiment. And it makes me sad that he can't work that through. But I just appreciate that they're doing some emotional time travel for him. He really is stuck in this moment with her. And I think I would be too. It's annoying how much that exes come into your brain Mm -hmm. on a daily basis sometimes because if you have a lot of memories with someone, it's natural that you're going to remember them. When you see something that you used to do together or a place that you used to go, it's hard not to think of them. And if it was a toxic situation, that's difficult in its own way. But for Picard, it's a regret. We're going to talk about this later in this podcast. Picard has a lot of regrets about his youth. And so I think this is something that he's just really piling on in this episode. I really like this one and it's one that I had forgotten honestly because I don't think I've re-watched it in a long, long time. So it was a very interesting one for me and I'm glad we got to see it. I agree. Really beautiful what you said. Ashlyn and I had the pleasure of watching this together in person because Ashlyn visited uh, over the weekend and we had such a blast. It was so fun to have her here and we were able to watch this episode together and first contact together and Ashlyn turned to me during the episode and was like, wow, it feels like Patrick Stewart really pulled out all the stops for that one. And I agree. I think that this episode, which is just a random one in what, like season two? Season one. This is early on. Season one. I think it's 123. So random episode in season one. I mean, this is classic Patrick Stewart. He puts so much effort in everything. But regardless, I'm just really impressed by the line he's straddling in this episode because he's going from being kind of coy and kind of playful to then being honest and truthful about his regrets with Janice. And their interactions are so dynamic and electric. I really like to watch them together on screen. This reveals a lot about Picard. And I really like what you said about mental time traveling. That's so cool. It's such a cool way of thinking about it. Just to put a cap on the time travel 
aspect of this, the actual science, the episode ends because Mannheim is so obsessive with continuing his experiments that he's completely unwilling to give it up. And the accident that he had in the beginning of the episode was he was stuck between universes, I believe. Oh, right, yeah. He's trapped between two dimensions and Data is basically like, you have to shut this down because this is not safe. You're going to create worse ripples in time and space and it's going to be bad news for all of us. And he just does not want to do it. And I do feel kind of bad for him because he has been, I don't want to say wasting his life. I'm sure the discoveries that he made along the way were really amazing too. Mm -hmm. It would be really hard to have something that you've worked your life on be totally shut down by a third party who is barely supposed to be in your jurisdiction. It's exactly what happened to Bruce Maddox. Yeah, it really is. Damn. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. So I understand, yeah, like he's obsessive about it and everything, but Data just turns it off. (laughs) Yeah, I know. No more Mannheim. Yeah. Yeah. And the place he visited, he says, what will happen is all worth it. I have been on the other side. I have touched another dimension. My mind is floating between two planes. It's difficult to know which is which. And so, wow, what an experience. I feel like that would be really life-changing and hard to come back to reality from as well, even though he wasn't feeling well. Like, obviously, it's terrifying, (laughs) but it's also probably incredible. So it's an interesting form of time travel when he's sort of projecting his brain into the future. Before we transition to this next episode, I have just finished an anime called Steins Gate, which is all about time travel. And if I reference it about a thousand times over the next couple episodes in this series, you guys are just going to have to bear with me because (laughs) so far everything we've talked about has reminded me of Steins Gate. So... That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's move on and let's talk about A Matter of Time, a classic title to a classic episode. Oh my God. The titles in this are cracking me up. They're all about time or future, (laughs) tomorrow. So So this is in season five. So we've really jumped a lot. (laughs) Get it? Wow. A jump. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A Matter of Time is a really funny episode. It is about a man who comes back to the 24th century on the Enterprise, and he claims to be from 26th century Earth. Dr. (laughs) Crusher verifies that he is human, and everything seems to check out, and he says that he's a historian who's come back to observe. And Riker's very sus of him. Worf is very sus of him. (laughs) I think Riker says, well, why haven't other historians visited the past to do their research? And the professor says, oh, well, we're really discreet and there's no way for anyone to tell. And yeah. he also adds that, oh, we coordinate with each other to make sure we're not hitting the same time points and same people. Right, exactly. And so he's just claiming that he's here to witness the crew react to some event that's about to occur. The Enterprise is working with the planet Pentara 4, where an asteroid has struck the Earth. God, not the Earth. Where an <laughs> asteroid has has struck the surface. Isn't it because the asteroid is causing a polar covering? Oh, it's, like an ice Yeah, it, it's going to be like a nuclear winter, which they say is not unlike the nuclear winter of the 21st century, which oh, is geez. like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, we know oh. it's coming. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's still time for World War Three. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So this is a really interesting one because there's no time traveling that the Enterprise crew does. It's just this professor coming back, and his name is um, Burlinghalf Rasmussen. I thought they were trying to go with like Rasputin with yeah. that last name. I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I have a question about this guy, Ashlyn. Yeah. So say you're in the beginning of this episode and you're one of the crew and he appears on the ship. How would you feel if Rasmussen just dropped in on you and was like, hey, I'm from the future. Hey, take these questionnaires. Hey, something's about to happen. I'd be with Worf and Riker. I would not believe him, especially because and what made me super suspicious like them is because Picard accepts him so easily. And I think because Picard is fascinated with history, like he's Loki, Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think he's really ready to believe this guy and just accept him as a historian because he views himself as a fellow historian in some ways. And so I would not trust him at all. I don't know. What do you think, Rihanna, if you were at the beginning of this episode? I'd be like Picard. I was like Picard. I forgot the intentions of this guy. I thought he was a little annoying and it was mostly frustrated that he was so wishy-washy about what he wanted to tell people. And he kept dangling these low-hanging fruits of knowledge. He's like, ooh, I know what's going to happen today, blah, blah, blah. That would be really annoying. But I don't know. Like he just did not send off any alarm bells in my radar at all until he started asking for random equipment. Then I was like, whoa, okay, what? Nope, I had complete trust. I trusted his story. I didn't like him as a person. I thought it was gross when he was like, come on, Counselor Troy, trust me. Some of my best friends are empaths. They trust me. I'm like, ew, that is disgusting. So I don't like him as a person, but I definitely trusted that his story was real. What's that logical fallacy where you say like, oh, well, everyone else believes me. So you should too. Yeah, I can't remember. But this kind of reminded me more of when people say, oh, well, I have black friends, so I can do this. Claiming if you have one friend who's different than you, being like, don't worry, I'm so informed about everyone in this community. That's a a really good comparison. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought they were getting at because it's TNG and they love to put little nuggets of morals. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Wow. Yeah, great observation. I was wondering because I didn't remember what his deal was. I just didn't trust him. Can we talk about the person whose ship he stole? Rasmussen says to have stolen from someone from the 26th century who came to the 22nd century. He knocked him out and took his clothes. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah, which is impressive for someone from the 26th century. You'd think they'd have like security or yeah. like, yeah, like something to prevent that from happening. Yeah. So like a I, brain. Yeah. Sorry. Right? Sorry. No offense to this guy. I'm just like, really? Brain. <laughs> Literally. I'm a little befuddled by this. Yeah, I am curious about what's going on. I don't think we'll ever get an answer. Probably not. (laughs) But like many things in Trek. Yeah, yeah, like many things. Okay, I want to talk about a scene that really impacted me in this episode. And that is when Picard is asking Rasmussen for help because he has to decide what to do about the issue going down on the planet. The Enterprise has so far been doing okay but then the enterprise accidentally messed up the titanic plates in the planet so like this is a huge this is a disaster before this they were trying to save just half of the planet and so now it's become a global disaster that they have to figure out how to save them 
their solution comes down to there's a lot of techno babble, which I kind of just zoned out, but essentially they have to calibrate everything to the exact decimal and it has to be exactly on time. And it's just very precise science, but it could save every single person and it could completely neutralize the problems on the planet. But the chances are lower of success. They're going to try to suck all of the CO2, I believe, out of the atmosphere and use the Enterprise as a lightning rod, Picard says. So they're going to suck it all to the Enterprise and then tractor beam it away from the planet and just out so it can dissipate into space. That's right. What Data and Jordy say when they're giving this report to Picard is that it's going to burn off the atmosphere if they do it wrong. (laughs) So that's why the whole planet would die. That would be awful. Then everyone just floats away. Oh, oh God. my God. Well, they would, I'm sorry. They would they float, float away. away. <laughs> <laughs> but they would suffocate, yes. Uh, Picard is faced with an impossible decision. And it makes it even more intense that this traveling guy is here. He's not the traveler, though. No one get confused. But it's even more high stakes because this historian is here to watch this event occur. And so Picard is furious with him, essentially, that he will not tell Picard what to do. But I do think that the professor gives a really good explanation of why. He basically says that whatever he tells them good news, bad news, they're going to be affected by it and it's going to destroy his past. And Picard has a fantastic quote. He says, I don't give a damn about your past because it is my future. The future is unwritten. I thought it was interesting that Picard was trying to use him to make this decision. And I thought it was kind of out of character for Picard, honestly, because I have the impression that he cares about the timeline. I'm later going to completely realize that he does not when we talk about (laughs) First Contact. Um, But watching this episode, I was under the impression that he cared about the Prime Directive, but he's literally yelling at this guy to not do the Prime Directive. He says, whatever your equivalent of a temporal Prime Directive is... You have to ignore it to save the people. And he doesn't understand how the professor can be so nonchalant about the potential death of this planet. And what I should have realized first time watching this episode is that the reason he's nonchalant is because he doesn't really care. And he does say that. He says that all of you are relics to me. You're all dead to me. Yeah. What he should have said is none of you have been born yet, so I don't care at all. (laughs) And I just am here for the money. I thought that scene was amazing and really had me thinking about time and how these tiny decisions can really affect your whole future. Yeah, exactly. This scene was so well done. When Picard says the beautiful thing you said about their future is unwritten, and I think honestly this whole conversation boils down to Picard had someone there who he thought knew the future, and so that's why I think he had a moment of questioning and doubt is because he's like, oh, wait, I should go to someone who knows the future to be sure because you never get that opportunity ever to actually check in with someone and be like, is this how it's done? Is this what saves everyone? So I think that contributes a lot to his self-doubt. Honestly, a lot of people, myself included, start to second guess 
if I feel like I can go to someone who knows better than I do. And I think that when Picard is normally captain, when he's just being himself, he has no one else to go to. There's no one higher up. And if he tries to go to an admiral, they're usually stupid and annoying. (laughs) So yeah, I think that that also was a motivator for him asking. But I think the reason he was so pushy is because he wasn't sure. Rihanna, this is a great point. And I'm actually really connecting to it because I just started a new job at BevMo, (laughs) which is like a high-end liquor store. And I have no idea where anything is in the store. But if my boss is there, I'm going to ask him every single darn time if I don't know where something is. But if he's not there, I have to guess. Like at this point, I do know where everything is. But as soon as my boss is there and he's like, oh, go to the tequila and find this specific thing, I'm kind of like nervous. I mean, this always happens to me when I was playing soccer and, you know, you're doing drills and your coach is walking around. As soon as he's there, that's when I'm passing the ball someone three people away from me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think that pressure is real. And Picard rarely faces it because he always trusts himself to do the right thing because he has great instincts and he's been a captain for a long time. And he's a very reasonable, logical person that makes great decisions for the most part, especially involving his command. And so I think that's a great point, especially because the professor has been building up this whole situation so much that it's really heightened it. True. And everybody feels the pressure on the ship about this mission. They feel historical pressure. They feel future pressure for what's going to happen, which is wild. Yeah, yeah. Not something you usually feel. (laughs) No. I also didn't like how interested he was, the professor, in data. And his excuse is that we don't have a lot of information about him in the future. But really, once he saw him, he knew that he could sell him or take him apart and build him again in the 22nd century or something. So he just saw him as a piece of profit. Yeah. And yeah, that that was sad. Yeah, that was sad. I agree. Yeah. I was laughing a little bit at the end of this episode because we find out that, of course, he's from the 22nd century and he's from New Jersey. And this (laughs) this reminded me of the short running show on Disney Channel, Phil of the Future. Um, (laughs) He's a 22nd century man. Oh my God. (laughs) I forgot about Phil of the Future. Wow. I was wondering if maybe that was like Phil's dad. <laughs> who met Picard and now is like stuck in the 24th century because he can't go back. That ship must have been set on a timer because as soon as they discover that this guy's an imposter, they take everything and him out of his ship and the ship just returns to the future automatically. It's kind of like the Red Angel. Ooh. How it got yanked back. Hmm. Ah, okay. <laughs> ah, anyway, the Discovery oh, Podcast. I... Well, just we're, we're very. Ex- you can tell we're very excited for the Discovery Podcast <laughs> for this series. I kind of uh, got goosebumps. That made me feel weird. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, yeah. that struck me. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to a historical episode. <laughs> yes. Times Arrow Part uh, One and Two. Ashlyn, I love your double use of historical there. And I also love this episode, love this two-parter. In the circles I've been around for Star Trek communities, no one really likes this episode. And I really don't know why. I remember disliking it a lot as a kid. And I think because I was annoyed about Mark Twain because we had to read Mark Twain in class. And it was like around that time when I was reading Mark Twain. And I am just not a Mark Twain fan. I'm an English major. I should be a fan of the classics. That's not actually how English majors are. PSA, most of us don't actually love the quote-unquote classics. But anyway, I just didn't like his characterization. I was 
was like, what is going on? It's just not good. And he's just annoying. But he's also really intuitive. And it's hilarious because he's so chaotic. I don't know a ton about Mark Twain as a person, but I do know a lot of his writing. And I think that it's just really interesting the different literary references they infused into it, especially the fact that they met Jack London. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. haven't even told you about the plot yet. My literary brain couldn't help but to just say how much more I enjoyed this episode because I've learned more about the writers that they're talking about. Yeah, that's so funny because I like this episode, everything about it, except Mark Twain. I thought that was like Well, yeah, he's still the worst part of it, (laughs) but at least I appreciated him a little more. (laughs) I feel like the writers pulled that name out of a hat and said, let's travel and go see, pulls out random famous person, (laughs) Mark Twain, like this- And because he's not integrated at all in the plot, everything he, except the very last like minute where he's the one, they just needed someone to travel to the future again. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, let's, let's talk about this episode from the (laughs) beginning because I'm just going to go on a tangent here. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) So essentially it's a really good opener because the federation calls the enterprise all the way back to base (laughs) to San Francisco, which they only do if there's a changeling at the headquarters. Like, <laughs> it's the, rare. Or if there be no whales there. <laughs> oh, yeah, or no whales. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this has got to be for something really high stakes. If they're calling in their best ship in the fleet yes. just to come home for a little bit. And it's because they found Data's head in a 500-year-old cave in San Francisco. Yeah, that'll do it. (laughs) And it's interesting because this really affects the whole crew. Not Data, because he uh, he has no emotion. Data's pumped, actually, to find out that he's mortal. Okay, you're right. He is pumped. (laughs) He really is. But the rest of the crew is heartbroken. And I felt like Rihanna was really channeling Riker energy. Or I should say maybe Riker was really channeling Rihanna's energy (laughs) in this episode. Because every time Data is brought up and the thought of his death, Riker is like, oh, I can't. I can't deal with it. Data's my friend. And he's so passionate about Data. And he's so upset that Data's going to be dying someday. Yeah, Ashlyn was with me during the grieving period I went through after seeing Nemesis. So... I really did feel like Riker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was distraught this whole episode to the he's he's emotionally compromised even at the end. He's like, "We have to go back and save Picard." Yeah. Like, poor Riker, he's having a tough time in this episode. Mm-hmm. We usually get a whole group of people being sent back. Actually, very similar to a lot of Star Trek episodes I think about. Reminds me slightly of City on the Edge of Forever and the fact that First, one person is sent back into the past and then everyone follows them to go and get them back. And Data, apparently everything he does is not changing the future in a terrible way that's destroyed all of all we know and love today. No, he's just hanging out, really engaging with the community talking very loudly about how he's from the future. He integrates as best as he can, but he's way too interactive (laughs) with the people of the past for my comfortability. I'm like, you need to stay in the shadows. You do not need to start running your like own empire, like throwing a a poker game essentially. So uh, yeah, he cleans everybody out and then becomes super rich (laughs) and has this like guy 
working for him, who turns out to be Jack London. So it's just this really crazy turn of events that really has not a lot of effect on the future, which just cracks me up. Well, okay, I would agree with you normally, but this is a special circumstance and Guinan says it plain and clear she says full circle it's true and so we don't know it as watchers Gaina knows it i think data can kind of intuit that this is a certainty data will go back in time at some point mm-hmm. and his head will be in that cave that's and true so it's a fixed because, point kind of because the enterprise has been traveling along and they haven't to their knowledge had like suddenly something change because of something happened in the future like the guardian is is an easy way to see that oh shoot hitler won the war yeah. like that's, <laughs> that's that's not great right so nothing that's catastrophic has happened and guinan is just chilling on the ship data might have been thinking there's less pressure on me to change the future because this has already happened. And I think he's a being who can understand time, not just in the way that humans do, you know, he can kind of conceptualize much better than we can how the universe works. So, so normally I would totally be with you and be like data, what you're doing is absurd. But in this one, I'm going to give all of the crew a little bit of grace. (laughs) Ashlyn, I'm so glad you brought that up because that really is a huge factor of difference between uh, the other back in time adventures we've seen thus far, mostly in the original series. So yeah, it's a really good point. And I also wanted to note what I thought was really cool and something that I think Doctor Who may have implemented a little bit because of this is that the fact that Guinan is meeting Picard for the first time in the past, but Picard has already met Guinan in the future. And so it's a really fun uh, River Song type of connection from Doctor Who. I feel like where their paths are literally crossing at different points in time and they're not synced up to the um, linear timeline. And so it is really cool to see Guinan getting to meet Picard for the first time because we don't know much about Guinan and we don't know much about their past. And so this insight, this window into their connection is really cool and something I can't wait and I hope they expand on in Picard season two or whenever Whoopi Goldberg is coming. I'm so excited. And so, yeah, I just... I really enjoyed the aspects of these episode of this episode seeing number one, the fact that Whoopi Goldberg was in most of it was is just always enjoyable. And I would love to see her on every episode if possible. She really made a difference to these characters because she's a sort of unknown element added into a sort of regular <laughs> crew shenanigans. The rest of the crew is trying to adapt as best they can into the time, but Guinan is from this time, or not from it, but she has been living in this time currently. Uh, So yeah, I just, this is a really fun episode to explore. It really is. And the whole reason everyone has to go back in time is because there are these aliens that have, Data keeps saying, like, two individuals with a snake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, he talks about this asper or whatever like a bazillion times yeah and the obsidian yeah it's these aliens they're trying to mine for their lives i don't yeah i don't think it's super fleshed out but they dressed up they're dressed up like these fancy doctors and they're going through i think it's what 18 1873 uh, 
1873. Yeah. They're they're just chilling in 1873 and they are getting energy from humans essentially. And so the reason they've come back to this time period is because there are a lot of pandemics going on. Uh. <laughs> and so they're killing an, a lot of people during the cholera epidemic in San Francisco. And when Crusher gets there, she makes a great point that cholera is not this viral, it, meaning it doesn't spread that easily. Mm. And so it's weird that so many people are dying so quickly from it. This is just their cover, their way of killing a lot of people. Yeah, I was definitely triggered yeah. by this oh, pandemic. Absolutely. <laughs> I did not yeah. expect there to be a pandemic part of this episode, but here we are. <laughs> I'm laughing out of tears. tears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, they should have just come back to 2020. Yeah. It would have worked great. Fine. Yeah. I also find, real quick, I want to go back to Guinan because I always do, that yeah. when Picard goes and sees Guinan, uh, she tells him that if you don't go on this mission, we'll never meet. And so she's essentially telling him his future. He, She's like, hey, listen, this is where I first meet you, so get ready. <laughs> she generally doesn't uh, say a lot about the future or about other people's futures, <laughs> essentially. But it's really cool, and I'm glad she did because, first of all, it's fun to see Picard on an away mission. And second of all, it's just so fun to see them meet. They go down to this planet. They have their old-timey costumes ready. They are dressed to the nines. They look fantastic. Of course... The first thing they do is they like get a room and then the lady comes knocking for the rent. Picard says that they're an acting troupe doing one other than A Midsummer's Night Dream. So I'm like, of course, they're putting on a Shakespeare play because this is Patrick Stewart. And he's like, I have to slip in Shakespeare as many times as possible. <laughs> and I absolutely adore the scene where they are rehearsing the play. And Jordy's got the book on upside down. They're yeah. literally doing lines from Midsummer's, and they have the the landlady come in and read the part of Titania, the fairy queen. She does her little audition, and they're all sitting through it, and it's very awkward. And then he just casts her in this role, and I gotta say, devastating that it wasn't a real troupe and that she didn't get her debut performance as Titania. <laughs> okay, yeah, if Patrick Stewart told me that I was good enough to play Titania and then like he didn't show up for rehearsal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't pay me the rent. Yeah, oh, God, double wearing. So this poor yeah. woman. <laughs> She's the real casualty of all of this, even though the snakes people didn't get her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was a real riot. I think also the Star Trek writers really get drunk off of throwing in as many Shakespeare references as possible. Yeah. And I think this one's especially funny because when you are 500 years in the past and you're trying to think of, oh, what play, you know, if you're in the brain of Picard, what play should this cast be doing in the past he's like oh well we can't do like hamilton we can't do like <laughs> oh my god can you imagine the picard we can't do hamilton? like west side story <laughs> i like that you're just thinking of musicals you're such a musical theater nerd i i can't help it yeah i, I was thinking I mean, like what if they, do, they like, can't John do street, yeah they can't do streetcar yeah. desire or like you know any of those so gotta do shakespeare because he's definitely old enough yeah exactly <laughs> so that's what i thought was really funny is shakespeare is eternal like they would really they'd have to go way back also one thing you were talking about with Guinan because again let's just always come back to Guinan yeah. after every <laughs> tangent uh -huh. I can't quite wrap my brain around this plot <sighs> so maybe you can help me maybe you can't 
Let's see. Walk me through how the effing F would this have happened the first time? Because clearly with the head being discovered in San Francisco in the 24th century, this has happened before and Guinan already met Picard before. So how did this happen the first time? Well, I think your notion of the first time is wrong because we're always in a loop. So it's always the first time. But Because you were, like you said earlier, they rewrote the future when Data came back to a certain extent. So they Data completely rewrote Guinan's future by meeting her. But but he already knew her. So it's a loop. (laughs) But, but, why, how, and, and why would Data go back to the 1800s in the first place? Do you think maybe there was an accident and he traveled through time and then what? He met the snakes? I, I, no. The snake people? Like, no. how? Just how would his head? I've, I don't know. Maybe this is a chicken and the egg argument, but I feel like the head is the trigger that sets off all of these events. Not necessarily, because if they hadn't been told about the head, if it didn't exist yet, they would have gone down to that planet. Data would have beamed down right away. They would have still realized that his positronic net or whatever was the only reason that they could send him a second into the future where the other aliens were residing and he would have gone back anyway. And then it would have done the same thing. No, but like there wouldn't have been the triolic waves in the cave. Yeah, because they're cause the the aliens are always going to be causing it. They're always going to go and visit the cave, hmm. right? I guess I guess you're right. Okay, so I'm wrong. It's not the head is the trigger. It's the the snake aliens. <laughs> it's the obsidian man. It's that it's that cane. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Thank you for helping me. That is a good. I that's think a great. That's point. the only way I can think of it. And then it just now we're in the loop. <laughs> Right, and now we're forever changed in this loop, which yeah. is which is cool, and it gives Picard and Guinan this amazing relationship, like you mentioned. Okay, yes, thank you, because I just could not wrap my brain around how that could happen. Yeah, so but, but I'm glad it makes sense. That makes me happy. Yeah, same. <laughs> well, and something that I found interesting too is we got a tiny tidbit of Guinan's past even before she was on. I assume Earth. We know that Guinan is a Q type being. We don't know exactly where she comes from unless she talks about it in generations, which I don't think you rewatched no, it more recently. I mean, no, she doesn't. We just know that she is from really, really far away. Yeah. So she was probably like maybe living in the Delta Quadrant or somewhere further, but yeah. just somewhere where the Borg were influencing her at that young of an age, which is wild. A long time ago. Yeah, exactly. And so Guinan asked if Data was sent by her father. And so it sounds like she ran away or, you know, something where she left seemingly on her own. Doesn't seem like she's with any of her own kind. And so... That's just interesting. I really am excited to learn more about this and about her past, hopefully in Picard, fingers crossed. But yeah, it's really funny too to see Data come up to Guinan and be like, Guinan, hello, how's it going? Like, great to see you here. And Guinan's just like, who are you? But I love how quickly she accepts it because she knows that there's things like time travel and space and stuff. I think she's pretty willingly accepting what's going on. I did like that scene too. And I thought the only keyword Data had to use was starship. Yeah. And that was how she knew. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm amongst really primitive humans. So this guy must be on my level. Yeah. And I like that that was the connection that they used. I feel like we don't see that in Star Trek ever. So that was really cool to see. Except maybe Gary 7 now I'm thinking about it but anyway (laughs) um, (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I thought that was cool. And I love to see a young, carefree Guinan mm-hmm. because she seems a lot more serious and wise on the Enterprise, but she's really having the time of her life. I mean, she seems like she's wealthy on earth she has fantastic clothes she's hanging out with mark twain yeah (laughs) she seems very influential she's having all these parties at her amazing house Mm -hmm. i thought it was fun to see guinan having a good time and see her more carefree and less serious yeah you know guinan's good time is my favorite magic treehouse book (laughs) (laughs) that was that was pretty good thank you that was pretty good (laughs) um anything else oh mark twain I'm just that, mad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew, I knew what was like, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> oh my God. I know that Picard was checking on Guinan and that Guinan was hurt and he wasn't going to go to the future with them. But Mark Twain took his time ambling on over there to the little time portal. Why didn't Picard stop him? He just was like, no, wait, very feebly. He could have got up, stopped him, waited for the portal to close. I just don't see why it was necessary to bring Mark Twain into the future. Okay, so it's funny because we talked about last week that if there had been time travel classes at the academy, Kirk probably would have slept in or just not listened for those classes. I think Picard was taking studious notes. And I am sure, I'm 100% sure that if in a hypothetical situation, if you see Mark Twain running to a time (laughs) portal, you stop him. I feel like that's rule number one. Yes. (laughs) And there's no way he could have foreseen that he would have been useful to coming back. No. Actually, this is kind of a good time before I dive deeper into my annoyance about Mark Twain. Uh Let's talk a little bit about the way in which this time travel occurs. Yeah. Because this is no slingshot around the sun. This isn't the TARDIS. There's no time travel vehicle like we saw in A Matter of Time. The aliens are pumping this cave full of triolic waves Mm -hmm. and that creates a connection between where their planet is and this cave on Earth in San Francisco. They are just out of phase with each other mm-hmm. by 500 years. They're able to travel through phasing, it seems like. Phase to the future, phase to the past with these triolic waves that Data keeps talking about. Is that your understanding of yeah, it? Yeah, I feel like it's sort of the veil's thinner there or something between these two 500-year points. And so maybe that's why. That's sort of the essence I got. And when you are a second into the future, that's when you can see the alien guys with the snake. <laughs> I don't really I'm know their name. We don't, you know. We're kind of phoning it in on the <laughs> names of species and characters today, but it's Alien that's guys just how we're snake. rolling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting because we haven't seen this type of method before. Yeah. And it is interesting to think. I believe it's even covered in other episodes of Star Trek. I can't mm-hmm. think off the top of my head or at least in other media that that possibility has been talked about. Yeah. Where if you are even 10 seconds out of phase with yourself, you're kind of like on a different plane of existence yeah and I love the scene where at the beginning of the episode Data is able to phase himself out like you discussed he's the only one who's able to do that because he's an android Mm -hmm. and (laughs) he can talk to them through the communicator about what he sees Mm -hmm. even though they're in the same place they can't see each other I thought that was a cool way of representing how the time travel was happening. So, so cool. Yeah, agreed. I thought it was a neat, neato burrito way. Yeah, it was, very, <laughs> it, was, it was unique and something we hadn't seen in Star Trek before. Now, before we move on to the next episode, I just want to reiterate why 
I need to talk about Mark Twain and my irritations with him and what I mean by that the writers just kind of shoehorned in a random celebrity Mm -hmm. is I think it's not done well, in my opinion. Like, he's just sneaking around on them the entire time. And Data and Guinan are having this private conversation at her house when he finally gets her attention and is able to draw her away from the crowd. Mm-hmm. He's just listening. And he's, like, smoking a cigar and just yeah. eavesdropping. And I'm like, that's rude, no matter what century you're from. Literally. And he says it. I think he says some comment about eavesdropping. But yeah. he later breaks into Data's hotel room and hides in the closet and messes up his project that he's doing he's tailing them everywhere that they go i think that he has nothing to do yes (laughs) yeah and he's just waiting for the next good story or the next good paycheck i think is literally only his motivation it's so annoying it's weird and i feel like it does not paint him in a great light although maybe i mean i also don't know a lot about mark twain i was doing like a very minimal amount of research because i was curious about his career Mm -hmm. like where he would be i was reading that he moved to San Francisco in 1864 and he was a journalist. Mm. So exactly right that he was just looking for his next big story to publish. Yeah. I know that he published a lot of small stories while he was living there, but this was before he wrote Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. To me, he just comes off as a really irritating old man. And every time in Star Trek episodes where they have famous historical figures, they usually paint them in a pretty good light. So I just thought it was interesting that he was just this annoying guy. Da Vinci (laughs) was way cooler than Twain. Oh, way cooler. I mean, Lincoln is way cooler in the original series. he's floating. (laughs) Yeah, he's just chilling. (laughs) Apollo is even maybe painted more accurately. Yeah, exactly. None of us would really know who Mark Twain truly is but he just felt like a plot device more than a fleshed out character to me oh absolutely and I'm very glad you brought that up so I think let's move on to Tapestry this is probably one of my favorite episodes which I say this about a lot of Next Generation episodes but when I come back to these certain episodes I'm like oh but this one is my favorite (laughs) and so rewatching for time travel I felt this way with Tapestry because it is such an intriguing episode and we learned so much about Picard and his past. Ashlyn, what were your first impressions about Tapestry? Well, this is one that has always really struck me. Every time I watch it, I remember a lot of the details about it because I think it's an episode that we can all really relate to. Even the other day, and this happens to me frequently where I'm trying to fall asleep or I'm driving far and I'm not really thinking about anything and my thoughts tend to drift to something cringy I've done in the past. Yes. (laughs) Or like, oh God, I can't believe I said that to that person that one time. And I have a lot of regrets about my past. I think what Picard is going through in this episode when he is attacked at a conference with Riker and his artificial heart is damaged and he dies. And then Q comes and he says, you're dead. You know, before that's that's before the intro plays. That's what we see. But he's giving him another chance at life. I think Picard's memory of himself as a youth is very harsh mm-hmm. and very unforgiving to himself. And so he, I think, really dislikes who he was as a youth. And that's why he's the exact opposite today. What is so fantastic is that you realize 
that you need every part of yourself to be who you are, which seems so obvious <laughs> when I say it that way. But every experience that you have, every cringy, horrible mistake that you make, every embarrassment, every triumph is what makes you who you are. And taking something away, removing that part of time or changing one tiny thing in your life like that or one big thing like getting stabbed with the heart yeah. can have repercussions that ripple across the rest of your life. I know Rihanna's itching to get into this conversation, <laughs> but I just want to mention because I have never really thought of this episode as time travel because it's all controlled by Q, mm. but I think it exactly fits our time travel discussions. So that's why we're including it on the series. I mean, he technically Techn is time traveling. Yeah, he technically is, but it's still like in a safe cushion of Q. Yeah. <laughs> Q's personal and holodeck, essentially. It's yeah, exactly. And you don't necessarily know as the first time you're watching it, you don't know if Q is gonna let him survive this. I mean, yeah. obviously whatever, there's more seasons and you kinda sure. know, but who knows what could happen. So anyway, that's why it's on this, even though there's no slingshot. Exactly. And it's important to talk about Q when it comes to time travel because he is this chaotic element, yet again, someone who we really don't know what's gonna do one moment to the next. And so he has the capability send people back in time, even into their younger selves, which is such an interesting power and something I find would be so, so hard to deal with. I think as Picard, I completely understand why he's resenting his younger self so much and why he feels so uncomfortable because yeah, we as audience get to see him in his older body and as Picard, as we know him, but everyone else around him sees him as this young strapping ensign that just came out of the Starfleet Academy. Literally like two days ago, they had graduated or they're about to graduate. We see this Picard who is also a ladies man who is very much in a different woman's quarters every night and getting slapped by people and... Um, drinks in his face. Yeah, <laughs> drinks in his face. He's very carefree in a way that we don't ever see Picard in the future. Even though he may show snippets of himself being carefree, he will never let go, I think, the way he did in his youth. And this is because of his regrets and because of his brush with death, essentially. And this is what Q is showing him. It's pretty much Q enacting his own Aesop's fable. He's like, I'm going to be Aesop. We're going to just play this out and see. The moral of the story is you have to, I guess, come to death to realize how important your life is. Who knows? <laughs> Picard's. Wait, I'm sorry. Can you help the noob? What is Aesop's fable? Oh, what does that mean? Aesop's fables are like tortoise in the hare or ah, okay, elephant like, in the mouse or whatever. Is that one of them? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but they're ones with a very clear moral at the end and the whole story is built around moral. And so I feel like Q is really going hard with this because he wants Picard to understand that Yes, you would have survived with a regular heart and you can continue living out your days, but will it be the life that you want it to be? Because when Picard changes his own past and decides to not engage in a fight with the um, Nausicans, thank you, then he keeps his heart, but he sort of loses another part of himself along the way. He loses that brash confidence and the boldness that he needed to use to go into Starfleet and to get into the command training program and all of the work he did to climb the ladder to become captain. And he is just some ensign on the Enterprise. He's still based on the Enterprise, but he's essentially lower decks and not very confident 
confident. He asked Riker and Troy for pretty much like a evaluation and they just say that he is a fine enough officer, but not material that they would usually look for for a captain or even a higher command placement. And so I find this episode to be so important because I think it's one that everyone should watch because it teaches you about yourself and about how important your past is. Like Ashlyn mentioned, I love at the end of this episode, so Picard, you know, then decides to be stabbed in the heart again. And I love because when we first see Picard getting stabbed in the heart as a young man with his full head of hair, we see him get stabbed and then he just looks down at the knife and starts laughing. And I'm like, oh, he's delirious. But no, we see that the reason he was laughing when he got stabbed is because he was relieved that he could get that part of himself back and that he could still risk dying the captain that he was than living the sort of more meager man that he never wanted to be. I love at the end of this episode when he's talking with Riker, he says there were loose threads in his life. And he says once he pulled on that loose thread in his life, which is sort of this resentment he has to his youth, he said it unraveled the tapestry of my life. It's hard. It's not a really beautiful truth or anything. It's something that is rough, but it's also something that's so important to the self. And I don't know, I'm just kind of happy that Q decided to be a uh, moral philosopher in this episode because he really helped Picard discover the self within himself. An intriguing interference that Q had in Picard's life. And I think because he cares about Picard and wants to see him keep living, but he also wants to kind of mess with him along the way. I am regretful that we did not cover this episode in our Love and Affection series, actually, because <laughs> Q basically professes his love to Picard. Yeah, he buys him flowers. <laughs> He, yeah, and he, whenever Picard gets too, like, flirty with a girl, he appears and will break it up. Yeah, and he wakes up in his bed and it's like, good morning, Jean-Luc. And I'm just like, wow, yeah. this could be great. <laughs> For real. Anyway, all kidding aside, <laughs> I love what you said, Rihanna. That was beautiful. And I totally agree with it. It hits me every time I see it, no matter what stage of life I'm in, because it's always applicable. I think especially now where I'm a 20-something, I'm about getting stabbed in the heart age <laughs> that, <laughs> that Picard was. And I really get that where I'm learning so much about myself every day. <laughs> Sometimes it's every hour right? <laughs> and it's painful and it's hard, but it's great. And it's just an essential part of life. So absolutely. I love watching Tapestry and it's such an artful way to remind viewers that life is precious and it's not worth living if you're not going to be yourself, be brave and be bold and do the things that you want to do. Absolutely. Someone who actually has a lot of regrets is future Alexander. Ah, yes. Who we also see him confront his hatred of his younger self in the episode Firstborn. Very true. Yeah, these episodes also have a similar woven tapestry. So Alexander comes back in time to confront himself to say, you better buck up and become a Klingon warrior or you're going to watch your father die or I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> He's just really intense. And I understand because his 
father, Worf, died in his arms. And he feels like the reason it happened was because he became a peacekeeper instead of a Klingon warrior. And he was trying to vie for peace amongst the five Klingon houses. Worf warned him and says, hey, this might not work. I don't think the Klingons are ready for peace. But Alexander goes through with it and Worf ends up getting killed in the crossfire. This changes everything for Alexander and he is determined to change the past. And he does this in a way where he confronts himself. I think it's an interesting yesteryear-esque equivalent, although it it's not like himself is dying. It's that he's trying to change the future. And so this is, he's doing a much more risky maneuver, I think, than even Spock. This seems harder because you're trying to sway a younger version of yourself's interests and journey. And you can't, especially with kids, they're so stubborn. I just think that it would be very hard to change someone's mind, particularly someone like Alexander. Yeah, Alexander is bombarded by worse expectations, which we talk about extensively in our family series, mm -hmm. where we also discuss firstborn from the perspective of family. So yeah. we won't dive into that in this discussion, but Alexander is just as stubborn as Worf. Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't want to be a warrior. And the more that Worf tries to convince him, the more he's dead set against it. So I really see adult Alexander as being in mourning and as being incredibly desperate. He loves his father so much and he blames himself so much for his death that he is willing to rewrite his own timeline mm -hmm. to save his father. What a devoted son. And also he has a lot of guilt and sadness about how his future turned out. And Worf says it at the end of the episode, he did die with honor because he's honored that his son followed his path and Worf died for peace. That's such honorable a great death act. for Worf. Yeah. yeah, it's very honorable. I think it helped adult Alexander to talk to Worf at the end of this episode and have a little bit of forgiveness from him. I was actually thinking about this myself. Like what if future Ashlyn came back and talked to me, especially as like a 12 year old mm -hmm. I feel like that would be much more difficult I mean Alexander is essentially a middle schooler in, yeah. in this episode and whew, middle school is tough yeah. and you're going through so many changes and even Klingons I'm sure they have like different puberty ages than humans mm -hmm. but he's part human too so poor Alexander is really going through a lot and then to have another Klingon who's just like his dad yelling at him about honor that's really overwhelming and annoying yeah. <laughs> so I think for myself I would also have a hard time trusting this future woman who's telling me not to do something that I'm dead set on doing. Yeah, exactly. And he kind of scares him into it is the other disconcerting thing about this, which shows that you didn't really think about how yourself would react to this, which understandably he's consumed by grief. It's because he's so desperate. That's why yeah. I said that. Yeah, he's so desperate. He doesn't care how no. he does it. I'm really glad that Worf told him, old Alexander says, I didn't change anything. This is going to happen all over again. And Worf said, we don't know how the future is going to unfold, especially now that you came back here. Like everything could have changed because of your visit. And it did. Clearly, Worf is not dead <laughs> as far as we know in whatever future he came from. And so, yes, Alexander did end up training to be a Klingon warrior as we see in Deep Space Nine. 
we don't know about any other repercussions outside of Alexander's timeline that adult Alexander causes by coming back. So what we hear about how in the first place he's able to travel back through time is he says he's here from 40 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And apparently he ran into a man in the Camdar system who was able to send him back 40 years to change his own life. And it kind of sounds like a trap yeah. <laughs> situation from a Disney movie where it's like, do you want to change your past? Just yeah. follow me down this alley. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's how like, I felt too. It felt like a very sketchy transaction. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he found the traveler who was like yeah bro i'll hook you up (laughs) (laughs) i don't know and we never hear more about this ban in the camdar system but yeah i just really feel for adult alexander in this episode and i'm interested i would be interested to know if it affects the dura sisters who we we do see in this episode we know that i think it's lursa or betor one of them is lursa is yeah yeah lursa's is newly pregnant she's just starting out uh with her son and i don't know how his staged assassination attempt by duras would affect anything if it does Mm -hmm. but it seems interesting that despite the enormity of what he's done by coming back in time the future remains pretty 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 intact yeah that's good could have been way worse (laughs) he definitely was paying attention in that time travel class and he didn't even go to starfleet so (laughs) exactly well real quick rihanna's about to say let's go on to first contact Mm -hmm. i just want to mention that we are not covering all good things in this episode because it's an anomaly guys (laughs) we also may surprise you that we don't talk about the traveler it's because we never actually see time travel from him so we do acknowledge that he He's there and he's cool and he travels with Wesley and that's amazing. Good for them. But there's no time travel that we actually get to see. And now we're here for the main event. Let's go. First contact. Ashlyn and I also got to see this together. As I mentioned earlier, this is a fun time. Not really. It's actually a very (laughs) tough time for the Enterprise because they are sent back into a temporal vortex that the Borg created so that they can travel back to Earth to assimilate Earth before Starfleet gets powerful enough to try to destroy the Borg. It's hilarious because the Borg Queen hasn't even met Janeway yet, so she's really in for it. If she thinks that Picard is the biggest threat out there. (laughs) Yeah, like, come on. She doesn't know what's going to hit her. But in the meantime, yeah, the Borg think that they're cool enough to go and assimilate a whole planet quickly. So... A kind of crazy concept, but a terrifying one because there's no way to defend Earth from a Borg attack in the past. This seems like a very daunting, impossible mission and something that brings up a lot for Picard. We laid a lot of the groundwork when we talked about the show Picard in our pilot episode, but Picard is dealing with seeing the Borg again and having to be so close in their proximity. We are just really uncovering a lot about Picard in these episodes. And I'm really glad that we talked about some of the threads that we see throughout that do connect to First Contact. And one thing I want to mention really quick that I found interesting is that when Picard and Lily, who is from the 21st century. That's crazy to think that first contact's coming up. Just a quick shout out to the Twitter page. That's the countdown till we meet the Vulcans. Yes. They're awesome and they post every day how many days we have left till we meet the Vulcans. <laughs> yeah. So if you want some hope, there it is. 
Yeah. Yeah. So Lily is from practically our time. She's with Zephram Cochran. They beam her up because she is injured and Crusher saves her. Anyway, she ends up meeting Picard and they have this discussion in his office that is kind of similar to when we were discussing a matter of time with mm-hmm. Rasmussen because it's sort of this similar scenario where we have someone from the past talking to Picard about how his future is going to unfold. And in this circumstance, though, Lily is very determined to get through to Picard about his PTSD, essentially, surrounding being assimilated by the Borg. And I think this is a really cool conversation they have, even though Picard is losing it and like breaking his ships and all of this stuff. It's because he has so much pent up anger. And I'm really glad that Lily was there to be a third party viewer, because I don't think Picard would have wanted to have this conversation with anyone he knew close enough, because he's not that kind of person to just lay himself bear like that. But with Lily, she was a neutral party who sort of a therapist, you know, she was someone he didn't know well enough to feel judged by her, but someone whom he had just had a life or death experience with. So he felt close enough to finally let go of his control. And I don't know, I just wanted to shout out that scene because it's one of my favorites in the movie. Obviously, it has the iconic line, the line must be drawn here this far and no further. So, you know, anyway. Lily is played by the great Alfre Woodard, who's an amazing actor. I love her on Luke Cage anyway. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, I like your Picard thoughts. I love every thought about Picard. But I was thinking of when Picard throws back the gun and breaks all the glass in that scene and destroys all the ships. He's saying like, no, 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 no. (laughs) And it it reminds me of the scene in Rascals where he's a little kid and he goes, I want to see him now. Now, 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 now. (laughs) Same energy. Absolutely same energy. (laughs) Yes. That was distracting me because I was thinking about Rascals. Anyway, First Contact is such an awesome movie, especially just comparing First Contact to every other Star Trek movie. It is filled with so much action, even though it's from a show that's so character driven. Yes. And I love that. And I think Jonathan Frakes, who directs this, is perfectly able to just crush it. Like, oh God, like in a great way. I hope you know. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. A good good crush it. Oh, a great crush. Um, So Rihanna, when you gave the plot about how the Borg time traveled back to Earth, the amount of time it took for you to describe it was the same amount of time it showed us on screen. Yes. Because- we are back in the past super quickly so in this fast. movie. Yeah. And it's so much of a contrast compared to Voyage Home because we spent about half an hour in the future before we go back to the 80s. This happens pretty much right away. They do not mess around. And I thought it was interesting story-wise and I think kind of smart. All right, let's just give this random explanation and let's go. Let's just drop us right into the past. Literally. There are so many iconic scenes from this movie. I think for now, since you're talking about that scene with Picard, I'm going to stick with scenes that happen on the Enterprise Mm -hmm. because one of my favorite ones that we see is the spacewalk that Picard and Worf and Ensign Redshirt go on. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. uh, when they're trying to stop the Borg from putting their, I think it's a transceiver, on top of the Enterprise so they can contact the rest of the Borg fleet that are there in the 21st century and basically call them to come assimilate Earth. Because I think the Borg are off their frequency or yeah. whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> they can't hear each other. They do such a cool spacewalk in the EVA suits and they have their magnetic boots and they're walking along the hole and they're manually disengaging this portion of the Enterprise so it just like floats away and I just thought it was a super cool scene amazing to see Earth in the background Mm -hmm. it makes me think about the International Space Station like that's the view that they have every day literally Um, Worf says assimilate this so that's great yes (laughs) Yes, that's probably the best part absolutely (laughs) Worf in this movie in general Mm -hmm. is fantastic so good This movie actually reminds me of the comedy of errors that we saw when we watched Assignment Earth because the Enterprise D, the namesake of these other fools, Mm -hmm. I feel like, again, the crew just does not give a flying F about anything going on on earth like Jordy is spouting all of these secrets (laughs) about the future would be right here oh my god to zeph from cochran yeah so i mean the whole point of this is that they've traveled back to first contact day or a week before it or something where zeph from cochran is quickly working on the first ever warp engine the enterprise crew just takes over the project and makes cochran feel so burdened and feel the pressure yeah yeah, of the history pressure again just yeah. like they felt in matter of time mm-hmm. so they really should have some sympathy <laughs> for real <laughs> i was flabbergasted by the disregard they had i mean troy is like drunk and talking about the future in front of all these people it's really wild it's completely wild especially on such a historic occasion on a point in time that is so essential to the future that they're just spouting this information i know it's supposed to be funny for the movie but it just doesn't make sense to me that these Starfleet officers would completely just neglect their duties and try to blend in or anything. They just don't even try. It's wild. Something else I wanted to mention that slightly bothers me is we see in multiple episodes in the original series that we talked about when they go back in time is Scotty doing some quick work to be like, oh, don't worry. The space station didn't see our sensors or like, oh, don't worry. No satellites saw us. Where are the space stations? Where's Elon Musk's Tesla? (laughs) It's definitely out of the solar system at this point. (laughs) I'm assuming he's going to send a couple more. We already have an international space station. We already have a ton of things going on and going up into space. Where is any of that? We're further into the future in this. Did the Borg wipe it out? No, I have a guess. I mean, if you look in the future of Trek that they always talk about, like with the eugenics wars and mm-hmm. World War III, yeah. I think that Earth is at a point where it's pretty decimated. I mean, you look at how the people are living. So first contact day is April 5th, 2063 in Bozeman, Montana. We're honestly not that far away. Oh, God. Yeah, we're really getting close. Oh Sorry, God. I'm like really thinking about <laughs> this. But yeah. it's not very advanced where they are in Montana. Mm-hmm. And my impression is that's not just localized to Montana. Mm-hmm. At least America is kind of in dire straits. And so it seems like this is a world that's recovering from a devastating war and a really hard time, which I'm getting a little scared that I'm going (laughs) to foreshadow. Yeah, geez, you're so right. I hadn't even thought of that. Ashlyn, that's a great example. And I I think that's exactly why. They have no resources to be sending satellites into orbit anymore. 
anymore. I don't think there's active government-run space agencies. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think NASA's up. It's clear that there are people like Zephram Cochran who are just wanting to make a lot of money. And so they're pushing the boundaries of the human race because it's the only way to survive. He wants money so he can be rich and get out of this poverty that he's been living in. He's an alcoholic. Yeah. He's not doing great. He's a genius. But yeah. Okay, also, where's Henry Archer in this? Oh my god. <laughs> Probably just he's maybe one of the other townspeople. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he's just chilling, or maybe we don't. Well, meet we know him that yet. Henry's I, I, like the archers are from Indiana or something, right? So no, that's Jane. Yeah, Lee. maybe he maybe he meets him later. I don't know where the archers are from. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but I feel like just humanity is at a point where they're not looking forward, and so that was what was so astounding about First Contact Day is that this guy was like, "Hey, I want to travel fast. <laughs> so I want to get the f out of here." <laughs> and the Vulcans were like, "Well, okay, your wish is my command. Let's do." Yeah, you figured out warp flight, so we got you. (laughs) That does give me hope that even an Earth run down from this tragic era is still able to put their best foot forward and have the ability to travel faster than light. That's pretty cool. That's amazing. Something I do want to talk about a bit is that we get to see the doctor. We get to see Robert Picardo in this movie. And so Ashlyn and I were watching it and I turned to her. I was like, is this a teaser for Voyager or is Voyager already happening? Yeah. And Voyager had been on screen for one season. In real life, Voyager had aired in 1995 and this movie came out in 1996. There's a year of knowing the Voyager crew already. And in the Star Trek years, the Voyager timeline started in 2371, which is the equivalent of the first season. And this movie takes place in the year 2373. So in both reality and in fiction, they are really close together. So obviously this is a ploy to get people to watch Voyager. Yes. I mean, it's pretty smart Mm -hmm. saying, oh, we need to have Star Trek sticking in people's minds. Maybe Voyager's not doing so hot in the ratings. Let's throw in Robert Picardo. And it's a fun way to have these series connect. Yeah, because he's a hologram, so he can do it. It's a very convenient thing to use. And I mean, that's partially why they set him up in Deep Space Nine as well. So yeah, I just thought that was a cool tidbit of knowledge. To see just how the Star Trek universes intertwine is always so fun to me. Yeah, and I don't think it'll happen, but someday I would love to see if there was ever a Picard and Discovery crossover. It's all a part of the fun of this world building. And yeah, I'm into it. Sky's the limit for that, for sure. <laughs> oh my god there's a funny quote that i want to say but i don't remember who it's by so ashley if you could help me out here yeah of course there's no time to argue about the time we don't have the time i feel like that was jory or data yeah, someone cheeky or yeah, like troy someone. when she was drunk oh i, I think been. it is troy yeah i'm pretty sure that's troy when she's drunk or is that from when he's drunk anyway it's just hilarious because they really wanted to throw in all the time references they could oh also, the fact that they stunned Zeph from Cochrane just with a phaser because he was running away from his future. Um, again, I'm just questioning the sanity of this crew. Were they thinking anything through? Riker was the one to stun him, too. You'd think the first officer of the ship would not stun one of the greatest men in history. 
Uh, I mean, and poor Cochran, he was just trying to pee. <laughs> Riker's like stunning. I him. mean, he did run away. So <laughs> I know, but still, so, I mean, this poor guy is clearly overwhelmed. Yeah. And Troy's not even trying to help him. No. None of them are trying to help them. Their head empty only save the Earth from Borg. Yeah, so kind of understand why. But I really think that Riker was not thinking things through. I mean, he's supposed to be leading this away mission. And yeah. he's doing a terrible job. <laughs> yeah. And I find the contrast of this movie very interesting because we have Picard up on the ship with some of the bridge crew and the crew of the Enterprise getting assimilated and it's gruesome and people are dying left and right. And then down on the planet, Troy's getting drunk and they're hanging out playing classic <laughs> earth music. Like what? Yeah. That's, yeah. it's just the contrast is really fun to watch though. And I think they did it on purpose to stagger out the tones in this movie, but I do find the transitions to be a little jarring. Yeah, I do too. Like what I was talking about earlier with the cool spacewalk scene, mm -hmm. I think that's literally followed by like Troy drunk dancing at a bar. <laughs> yeah. The flow is very strange. And I think it's because this is basically a really long episode. Yeah. They even have like the A and B plots with the different characters in different locations doing different things, but they end up connecting. Yeah. It's really interesting. I love this movie though. Mm -hmm. I really, really love it. Despite its carefree attitude with changing the future i kind of get the sense that picard is so caught up in his ptsd with the borg that he is not really able to think clearly mm -hmm. about changing the future and assumes and trusts his officers to uphold their learning <laughs> and instead jordy's like i went to separate cochran high school <laughs> yeah 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 jordy is dropping bombs on this man's life and he is not ready for it he's not emotionally ready to handle any of this and even Riker he quotes Cochran to himself oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> Cochran's like oh who said that and he's like you did <laughs> God, that's rude. Leave right. the man alone. Literally. I feel like, uh, leave Brittany alone. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm 2007. Yeah. Chris Crocker right now. <laughs> Instead of like, leave Brittany alone, it's leave Cochran leave alone. Cochran alone. <laughs> Just let him do his He's dealing with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. And I have a question about how they got back to the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because... First of all, they say that they are planning on staying behind in the past because they won't be able to make it home, which is very Voyage Home. This is a classic plot. But then they say, oh, we're going to make a discreet exit. And then they beam away, which is not discreet. They don't even like go to the woods to beam away. They just beam like behind everyone right before the Vulcan <laughs> ship opens. What? <laughs> that is not discreet. I've never heard anything less discreet. Also, beaming sound makes a loud noise too. Yeah, and I think that the Vulcans would have seen yeah. them. <laughs> would have seen and the I know ship. that, well, no, because they did take precautions oh, right. so the Vulcans wouldn't see the Enterprise. That's true. But I think the Vulcans, I don't know. I feel like they could have registered, whoa, there's advanced technology down there that's more evolved than us. Yeah, what? <laughs> Oh, geez. The Borg traveled through a transwarp conduit, but I really thought that transwarp conduits only take you to a different part of space, not to a different part of time. You know, I thought so too. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise Voyager would have been going back in time a lot because they went through some conduits or they tried to. Well, I think probably if we follow the logic of the movie, the Borg can control 
if they're going through only space or time Wait, but is my guess. Like they can create different transwarp conduits depending on their objective. Yeah, but wait, did Janeway use a transwarp conduit to get back in time in Endgame? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's like, how so that's... they can go in time. But I guess also, because, you know, if you travel far in space, I'm assuming they're using like real science when they talk about this. Because, of course, when you're looking through a telescope, you're essentially looking back in time to mm. 3,000 years in the past. That's how long it takes for time to travel. Right, that's so true. Like depending on how far back you're looking. And so maybe a transwarp conduit is kind of like that. But that's problematic because then when they get back to Earth, it's like the same time that they left the Delta Quadrant to go through the conduit. Yeah, okay. And also, wouldn't the Enterprise be all messed up from Borg technology? Wasn't it like half transformed? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And they were going to do the self-destruct. I mean, half the decks are destroyed. Yeah, like the Enterprise is not in intact. good condition to get back. I mean, Jordy's a miracle worker, I guess. So. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it's, you know, a lot of techno babble, so we can just well, accept it, I guess. And what I was confused by too is because I thought that you had to initiate the transwarp conduit like from one source. It's like a post in space that you have to go to. You can't just like create it out of thin air. Yeah. And so I thought that that meant the Borg in the 24th century were holding open the transwarp conduit for that ship back in time. But maybe not. Maybe I'm like super confused. But so then that means like they were just holding it open and the Enterprise had to get back before it closed. Or maybe Picard was able to contact the Borg in the future and tell them to open it. But then again, the movie ends before they even get back to space. So like, did the Enterprise fly into the Borg nest? <laughs> right. right. I don't know. Literally. I don't know. I'd, I'd rather them do a slingshot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're close to the sun. Might as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know we're like really going Splitting over this. Hairs, but but yeah. this is the time travel series. Like, how did they get back? It's really vague. And they clearly were not trying to emphasize fake science. <laughs> yeah, clearly that was In not this a one. priority. The priority was Picard pushes through his PTSD to do the right thing. And Brent Spiner has a really cool role to play, (laughs) which we haven't even talked about, but it's not a lot of time travel. And eventually we are going to have a movie series where we're going to really dive deeply into these. So if you're missing any of these moments, we're definitely going to be back. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) we're just giving you a little taste. I didn't like how it ended with just a couple minutes to spare. And I feel like that was definitely a flaw in the writing. Oh, it always goes like that. This movie, at its strengths, shine brightest when we're having these character moments. Yeah. And that's what makes it so great. Oh, it's epic. <laughs> I love this movie. As much it's as I was the- arguing about it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Wow. Well, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I, you know, I think we should have an ending that's similar to First Contact's ending, where we just kind of wrap it up and say goodbye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, follow our Patreon. See ya. <laughs> Yeah, have a nice day. <laughs> Next week, we will be off. And in two weeks, we will have a release of our Deep Space Nine episode. Woo! So this will be all of the time travel episodes in Deep Space Nine, which I'm curious about because off the top of my head, there are not too many. We may add to our list as we go on. I'm already but... thinking of some juicy ones. So, Oh, yeah. There are some fantastic ones for sure. So very I'm very excited to delve into that. It's also interesting how different each series has been yeah. because I feel like 
we kind of get into a good formula in each episode of the series. It's easy to fall into a pattern, but these episodes are guiding a conversation and all of these time travel episodes have been very different. So different. And so I'm just excited to see what our future holds. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> in these discussions. Cannot wait. Um, Rihanna, it was so wonderful to see you in Chicago last weekend yes. and get to watch these episodes together. We also recorded two Patreon episodes together, which you can find if you go to patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. And if you donate any amount per month, any amount per month, literally. <laughs> Yeah, it was great to see you and record these episodes in person. It's so much better when we can be together, but it's also fun just to be back in the zone recording these episodes and discussing time travel with you. Yeah, you know, I think I equally love recording for the main pod and recording our Patreon episodes because they're so fun and so different. Like our Patreons are short and sweet and funny and we get to curse and that's fun. But also our main episodes just get to dive so deep and we have these amazing discussions and I just am thrilled with every aspect of what we're doing and so happy that you are on this journey with me, Ashlyn. So thank you. Absolutely. I totally agree. Thank you so much. And hopefully you all continue to tune into the Dura Sisters journey (laughs) as we move forward. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in for the third episode of our time travel series in two weeks, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the time travel episodes in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also, check out our content on TikTok and Tumblr for general fun. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, Star Trek Trivia, and the animated series. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. And our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Arilla Voltaire. What's the worst possible thing to do in front of a changeling? You eat jello in front of another changeling.